Wherever cancer is, Hancock Health will fight. In any part of you and in all corners of East Central Indiana. From Indianapolis to Greenfield to Knightstown to Greensburg. From hospital rooms to family rooms, we fight. With technology and medicine. With care backed by the wisdom of Mayo Clinic. For you, for your family, and for your future in Decatur County. We fight cancer here. HancockHealth.org slash cancer. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment, and this is the Gun Guy. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIBC. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Gun Guy Show here on 93WIBC. Glad you're with us. Producer Carl's back in the in the seat after taking a week off last week. Glad to have him back. Got a lot to get into. We've got a little bit of an abbreviated show this evening in that uh, the IU-Purdue pregame show. Looking forward to that tip-off at 7.30. The pregame show with John Herrick. Uh, and uh, and supporting cast here on 93 WIBC will actually begin at 6:30, so we're going to conclude the Gun Guy show half hour early, but we can we can jam two hours of radio into 90 minutes. I'm telling you, uh, if we hustle. But throughout the show, as always, we'll be taking your calls. So join us here in the studio. Give us a call. 317-239-9393. We're going to shift gears a little bit from what we talked about last week. Which we were we were mainly at the federal level. We talked a lot about this ridiculous new, uh, bu- uh, not bump stock, but uh, pistol brace rule uh, that the ATF has embraced. We had uh, and and now has finalized, and it became effective January thirty first. A lot of callers on that, a lot of interest. But we're going to shift gears and talk more about what's going on here at the local level, on uh, in Indianapolis, and what it is. Uh, that we need to be keeping an eye on in the Indiana General Assembly. Uh, there are a number of bills that I've testified for this year. I'm down there not just as a private citizen, but also as the the CEO and founder of the 2A Project, the gun rights organization that we started here in Indiana. Uh, we've been very active. We fought like hell for constitutional carry uh, for a full 10 years. And finally got that done last year, and we're not done yet. There's a lot of other things to do, both playing offense and defense when it comes to your Second Amendment rights here in Indiana. And so uh, there are some things to talk about, good and bad, on the legislative side. I will begin that discussion, though, and I've said something similar before uh, here on the Gun Guy Show. I've said it in other forums. Uh, and and I'll continue to say it, which is that a lot of times when we get frustrated, certainly this happened with constitutional carry. Again, it was a 10-year fight, literally a 10-year fight to get constitutional carry passed in Indiana. There were an awful lot of states that passed it before we did. An awful lot of states you wouldn't necessarily look at and think that they were more pro-2A than Indiana. Yet at the same time, uh, we couldn't get it done for a number of years, and that got to be frustrating. And, and I got frustrated with a lot of the Republicans 
particularly in the Senate in Indiana, because for some reason we couldn't quite get over the hump, but we kept fighting. We kept fighting, and we eventually got it done last year, and a lot of us were concerned about whether Governor Holcomb was necessarily going to sign it. And he did, to his credit. And so that's just the one of the latest victories, certainly one of the more important victories. But the thing I always want to throw out there, and this is what I was talking about when I said, this is something I've talked about before on the show, and that is that we've got it pretty damn good here in Indiana. And a lot of times, for instance, when I'm teaching my Essentials of Indiana gun law class that you hear me pitching here as part of the Gun Guy show, a lot of times I'll be going through what the laws are and are not in Indiana. A lot of times I'll, I'll I'll contrast Indiana to other states on laws that other states have that we don't have that restrict Second Amendment rights in those other states, including states that a lot of people consider to be pro-gun, and the one that always comes to the top of the list is Texas. A lot of people go, oh, well, Texas, they're, they're very pro-gun in Texas. Okay. Do you know they have a whole bunch of laws in Texas that we don't have here in Indiana, and I wouldn't want a single one of them. For instance, in Indiana, if I'm driving home and I want to stop and have a beer in a bar on the way home, and I'm carrying my gun, I'm lawfully carrying my gun, either either under constitutional carry or with an Indiana license to carry handgun, and I just want to stop and have a beer. I can absolutely do that in Indiana while carrying my gun because there's no law in Indiana that says that I'm committing some kind of a crime, whether felony or misdemeanor or otherwise, but carrying my gun into a place that serves alcohol. There's no law in Indiana against consuming alcohol while I'm in possession of a gun. Now, does that mean I'm going to be irresponsible about it? Does that mean I'm going to go get blind, stupid, drunk while I'm carrying a gun? Of course not. But Indiana allows us to treat carrying a gun much like much like driving, in the sense that I would not consume more alcohol while I'm carrying a gun than I would consume and still be comfortable driving a car and staying under the legal limit. Why? Because I'm a responsible gun owner which tends to limit how much I drink much more than it limits how much I carry a gun because I don't want to relinquish my Second Amendment rights because I feel like stopping and having a beer. But if I stop and have a beer or two and then drive home, I've committed no crime in Indiana, as I would in a lot of states, including what everybody points to as incredibly pro-gun, Texas. There's no law against having a gun in a movie theater or other entertainment venue. Now, those places can have their own policies, but if you violate their policy, that just means you get thrown out. You don't, you don't get a prison. Big difference. And there are a lot of other examples of exactly the same thing, where other states have laws, we don't have in Indiana, that greatly protect and enhance our rights. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. I could go on and on and on. And, I, and I'm proud of that. One issue that is currently being debated in the General Assembly and is a subject of a bill that we're going to talk about with Representative Jim Lucas here a little bit after the quarter hour is about training teachers so as to enable them to effectively, responsibly, safely 
carry a gun and potentially use a gun to protect themselves and students in a school. And this is Jim Lucas's bill. And we'll talk more about it. But as I went in, and, and this is not the first time he's introduced this bill. It's not the first time I've testified in favor of it this year. It's not the first time it's been in the education committee in the, in the House and has been the subject of debates. I think it's got much more momentum this year because there's a greater understanding of what it does and doesn't do. But as we'll get into with Representative Lucas after the break of the quarter hour, what this does is it does not take the decision-making away from a local school board on whether they want to arm teachers or not. Today, under current law, without changing anything, a school board in a particular school district or school corporation can say, yeah, we want to arm staff, whether it's teachers or other staff members, private security guards. Could be, it could be parents and other community members who want to volunteer. And a school board can say, yeah, based on your training or based on these criteria that we've set up, we're going to authorize the following people to have a gun on school property. School boards, school corporations can do that today. Totally legal if they choose to do it. What Jim's bill does, and we'll get into this here after the break, is it said if a school board wants to go down that road and make that decision, here's a standardized training curriculum developed through close collaboration and work with professionals, including the instructors at the Indiana Law Enforcement Academy out in Plainfield who teach cops to say what kind of training should a teacher receive given the very sensitive environment of a school so as to carry, handle, store, and potentially use that gun responsibly and safely in a school environment. They put that curriculum together and then said, if a school board, A, makes the decision to arm teachers or staff, B, wants to train them or require training as a condition, provides a standardized curriculum, and then says the state will pay for the teachers or other staff members to go through that particular curriculum as part of existing funds available today doesn't require a tax increase. It doesn't require any additional spending. They're taking funds that are already available today to make sure teachers can safely and responsibly, again, carry, store, handle, potentially use firearms in a school environment. That's a big deal. But what, what has happened, and, and we'll get into more of this, and it'll, it'll be much more informative when we talk to Representative Lucas about it directly, is how the bill gets portrayed and how when we've gone in to support it, including testimony that I've given in the Education Committee, not just this year, but in years past, when similar iterations of the same bill have been introduced by Jim, is how it gets misportrayed and how the debate wants to shift far, far away from what this bill is actually all about. We'll get into that, and we'll get into more of what's going on in the Indiana General Assembly, good and bad, on your gun rights. When we come back right now, we're taking a break. We'll have Representative Jim Lucas when we come back. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back to The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. As promised, got Representative Jim Lucas from Seymour, District 69, uh, friend of the show, personal friend of mine, uh, I'm proud to say. Jim, uh, welcome back to the show, buddy. Oh, it's always good to be back, Guy. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And by the way, before we get into your legislation and what's going on in the General Assembly, 
Congratulations are in order, man. New Harley Street Glide today. Did I see that on social media? Yes, I. Uh, I huge shout out to my wife for being so cool in uh, working with me on getting that. And I, it's what a beautiful day to ride. But it's yeah, uh, great ride. I love it. Oh, it's beautiful. Now you've been a motorcycle rider for a long time. But uh, now, have you had Harleys before? Because I think your most recent was Metric, wasn't it? And have you had Harleys before? Are you coming back to it, or where are you on uh, that? Victory. No, this is my first Harley. Is it really? Yeah. Welcome yeah, to the fraternity, sir. brother. Uh, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll be taking you to the tattoo shop here sooner than later. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we gotta. We got. You're not really a Harley rider, and you know until you're willing to willing to, to you know proclaim that for all for all eternity <laughs> somewhere on your. I'm kidding. I don't actually have a Harley tattoo myself, but but I'm excited for you. I look forward to riding with you, man. I've been riding my whole life. I got my first Harley when I was 17, and uh, have one now. So man, we we'll, we'll get out. We'll be uh, we'll be cutting through the wind a little bit. It's here at some point. Oh yeah, and bike riders are some of the greatest group of people you ever meet in your life. Oh you yeah, know? absolutely. You're Absolutely. Well, hey, well, it's yeah, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, I'm sorry, well, I got carried away. No, that no. Hey, I I brought it up, but you know, I, I'm by the way that you know it, another show we're starting next week is the biker guy uh, here on 93. No, I'm kidding. Um, although that'd be a lot of fun. So, uh, House Bill 1177. You know, I, this uh, was introduced by you. Not your first time taking a shot at a teacher training bill. I think is the appropriate short-term way to refer this uh, to this, but um, this one seems to have more momentum. Let's first talk about what this bill really does and doesn't do. Well, it's, and as usual, with on the, all the gun bills and stuff like that, there's so much misinformation out there that trying to combat that is more of a challenge than selling the actual piece of legislation itself. All this is, Guy, it's just a standardized form of training that uh, we developed, reached out. You know, you were uh, monumental. I mean, you had a huge lot of input for it, uh, people that train our police officers. And the goal was just in, in the last instant of when an active shooter, heaven forbid, ever happened in Indiana, but an active shooter come into a school or classroom that that teacher or staff member has the ability to defend themselves. And as we've seen play out tragically time and time again, you know, uh, Columbine, Sandy Hook, Virginia Tech, um, Parkland, Florida, here recently, Uvalde, Texas, you know, it's all these people inside are defenseless. And there's, uh, I'm not going to point finger at cops. I, I'm, you, I am 100% supportive of our law enforcement officers, but, you know, as we saw in Uvalde, there was a massive communication breakdown. And people were left defenseless inside for almost an hour and 15 minutes. Um, same with Parkland. You know, that school resource officer took off and hid. And what happened at Parkland, you know, that's really what initiated this legislation back in uh, 2018, 2019, was once I read that report at Parkland and there was a sheriff in that area that did a complete 180. He went from being completely against teachers and staff being trained and armed to fully supportive because what they did in the analysis of Parkland, that shooter had time to stop and reload five different occasions. Mm. Just one of those, you know, a teacher um, trained in that specific type of scenario. You know, I don't, I'm not asking for teachers to be SWAT teams or anything like that. Just be able to defend yourself. It's well, that simple. Well, exactly. Well, and on that point, um, 
you know that that no one's asking uh, teachers to be police officers or you know SWAT team members. Um, but as I testified in front of the education committee when I was there to support your bill, as I said to me, it's pretty simple. I said, if God forbid that moment happens and an active shooter busts through the door of your kid's classroom, and that teacher is standing there facing someone with with a handgun or a rifle or whatever it might be, do you want that teacher to be empty-handed? Or would you like them to have a chance at defending themselves and your kid and and all the other kids in that classroom? And I don't think that's a hard question to answer. Oh, no, and it's sad that it's we have to defend this because when you look, when when they dial 911, the first people they call are people with guns to get there as fast as humanly possible. So why not have somebody trained on site right there? And, you know, I'm not saying that they have an obligation to do anything, just as they nobody does right now. And, you know, that's another point, Guy, that so many people either don't know or overlook. After that Parkland shooting, a group of parents sued the school corporation, and a federal court ruled that police do not have a duty to protect us. And that was even kids that were being murdered. And the Supreme Court has ruled on that not once but twice. And both of those incidents involved children. So our highest courts in the land have ruled that we are on our own, period. Well, exactly. Yet, when we we go in and we have these hearings, or as you uh, had to defend uh, on the floor of the House on second reading, and we'll kind of go through that process here in a minute, um, it seems to be a lot of the opposition to this bill is – you know, people, and, and for some reason when I hear this, and, and it's just probably because I, I associate a, a, a lot of these folks with a character on the old Saturday Night Live show, uh, which I think was Gilda Radner, who, who would come in and completely misstate something during the news. She'd come on and say something yeah. like, you know, I don't understand what all this talk is about violins on television. You know, and they'd go on and on and on about what's wrong with violins on television. And somebody would finally say, oh, we're talking about violence on television. Go, oh, never mind. And and yes. I swear that's the voice in my head when I go to these hearings because in one after the other, these people standing up opposing your bill says, if we pass this bill, then, 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 then school districts are all going to put guns in their schools. Or if we pass this, then the local uh, school boards won't have the authority to decide whether guns go in their schools or not. Or, you know, I just don't like guns in schools, so we ought to defeat this bill. And, and, and it's so frustrating because you just want to scream. It's like the don't say gay bill, and I don't even mean to get off on that tangent, but it's you yeah. want to scream at them and say, have you read the bill? I mean, just like just like that, you know that that bill didn't say "don't say gay" in a whole nother discussion. But your bill had no, has nothing to do with taking any discretion away from local school boards on the fundamental decision of whether to arch, whether to arm teachers or, or staff or otherwise. Well, and that's one of the great things about this legislation, as you said earlier in your show. Under current Indiana law, school corporations are free to do whatever they want. You know, they could sit there and say, hey, we recognize the Second Amendment. As long as you're not prohibited to carry, you can carry on a property. Um, And that's the way it should be. Well, except for I I would love to see our rights recognized instead of, you know, some geographical line. You're walking on the sidewalk. One minute you're lawfully carrying. You step on school property. Now you're a felon. I don't agree with that, but that's a new fight for another day. But, you know, this program is strictly voluntary. A school corporation can opt into it or not. 
Um, teachers volunteer for it or not. The teachers that do pass the same psychological evaluation that we require for police officers. And this is a, 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 a you know, a program that is standardized amongst the state that the state will pay for. And if the school corporation wants their, their teachers to have more training on any area, you know, like weapon retention or more range time, whatever, you, great. Hey, but that's on you. They pay for it. But this is a good program. And when you look at the, the fiscal responsibility of it, the average resource officer, their salary is about $65,000. Well, for that $65,000, we can train approximately 40 staff members, give or take what part of the state you're in. But you just multiplied your deterrent factor by a factor of 40. And that alone right there should should be worth taking note. Well, yeah, and, and if I'm a potential mass shooter and I'm planning you know, my particular mass shooting and I want to wreak as much havoc and create as much devastation, you know, death and mayhem as I possibly can in the, in the shortest amount of time or whatever it takes for law enforcement to show up and intercede, how am I going to feel about walking into a school where 20 or 30 teachers, and I don't know which ones they are, I have no idea, because that's all going to be confidential within the schools, not only that they have the capacity to, to defend themselves and their students, but they've been trained with the same number of hours. This is something that people didn't quite get, and you and I both explained it in the Education Committee, and you've been explaining it pretty much daily since then, which yeah. is that this is the same number of hours of firearms training. This is specifically directed toward and specialized around the, the the school environment and training teachers and what they need to know. But this is the same number of hours that a sworn police officer gets in the academy before they're given a gun to go out and patrol the sea, the, the streets as a police officer. Absolutely. 40 hours is, is what the program you're talking about for police to graduate from the law enforcement academy. And that was my starting point. I wanted a 40-hour class to mimic that and make people feel comfortable. But I will be so bold to say that I think these teachers and staff might be just a little bit better trained than your rookie fresh out of the academy because they are trained on so many different scenarios. This specific class is geared towards just one scenario only, and that's active shooter inside the school. And it's defensive use. Most of it is defensive. But, you know, there's a lot of firearm safety, a lot of weapon retention. Um, after the shoot, we want to take care of our teachers and staff. You know, God forbid they ever get involved in something like this. I, I want them to know that they are going to be taken care of. And they will provide, be provided with the resources that they will need, you know, on an after-shoot scenario. Well, you know, in the, in the, the progression of any bill and what determines whether a bill gets passed into law or not, you know, it starts, it gets introduced – and it first starts with, you know, to, uh, after it gets um, assigned to a committee, and all bills get assigned to a committee, okay, does that committee chairman give the bill uh, a hearing or not? And so your bill got over that hurdle, as it has in the past, similar bills, very similar bills in the past. This one got a hearing. Well, then it has to pass out of the committee, and yours did overwhelmingly, I think nine to four, if I recall, and I was there, as I mentioned, and testified. Um, then it gets a second reading, and there's a, an additional challenge. Second reading is where you know it gets brought to the floor, in this case of the House, and then other members of the House can propose amendments. And a lot of times, um, adversarial uh, legislators, you know, typically when we're talking about guns, it's typically Democrats, 
will introduce a whole bunch of amendments, essentially trying to kill the bill by making it so unpalatable to fight through all the amendments that leadership just gives up and doesn't call the bill to a vote. In this case, there were a couple of amendments, and I watched a little bit of the the, the House chambers as this was going on, but but uh, you know, no disrespect because I actually uh, do respect the, the guy as a as a lawyer. Uh, but I always call him Angry Ed Delaney because he he just seems to be kind of a grumpy guy whenever I'm encountering. Maybe that's because he just does, really doesn't like whatever it is that I'm talking about at the time. <laughs> but but Angry Ed uh, offered a couple of amendments, and you had to fight those off. What what was that all about? Um, I have a tremendous amount of respect for for Representative Delaney, and, and you're right. I mean, uh, I think that's just his persona up there. He is a great guy, and you get him, you know, not under the spotlight like that. But one of them, one of the amendments, wanted to make the uh, the list of those that were trained available to the media, which I oh for crying out this. loud, yeah, um, I, it just I don't want that because I think that right there would deter a lot of people from going through the training. And as we've seen in the media all too often, they will weaponize that list and use it to, you know, just really make those people's lives hell. So that I fought hard and kept that out. Another one was, you know, and by the way, Jim, I don't mean to interrupt, but did he think that through? Why would you want a potential mass shooter to know which which teachers I, are trained and therefore are carrying a gun in the school? Why would you want to release that as a matter of operational security, as we say? To, to the public, including bad guys who may want to decide what entrance they come in, what rooms they go to, why would you give them a roadmap to avoiding the teachers with guns? He clearly didn't think that one through. Well, you and I share the same thought on that, but not everybody thinks like you and I do, guys. So yeah. we'll just, I, I don't know what his intention was with that, but I, I'm sure it was a good one. You know, I'm, I'm sure he thought well of it, but you know, fortunately, we won out and that amendment did not make it into it so I was, I was proud of that victory then the other one was basically just to make the list available you know to parents and such which um, i can kind of see that but also that defeats the purpose of keeping the anonymity about it so the active school shooter doesn't know who has the training and who doesn't you know if you have school a and school b and all of a sudden you throw out this list out there school b has 35 people in it that are trained and school a has none you just made school a a target well exactly and 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 listen jim uh, producer carl's giving me the you dumbass look uh you know as in we're way past the bottom of the hour but uh your bill passed the the house overwhelmingly uh yes. something like 67 to 24 i want to say I, I looked at it when it happened um now it goes to the senate just real quickly because we need to get out of here but uh, uh of this segment but well what do you what do you think the prospects are in the senate because we've seen you know pro 2a bill after bill over the years uh fly through the house and then uh, die in the senate how are you feeling about it over on the in oh, the other i feel chamber? very good I, I have a great uh, team of sponsors over senator oldman um, Baldwin, Cook, and Garden, and they're going to do a great job. This is essentially the same bill that we got through the process in 2019, made it all the way up to the you know finish line, but there was an amendment that got attached to it that I, I didn't care for, but we have since resolved that issue. So this is the same great bill that we got all the way to conference committee in 2019, and there's really no reason it shouldn't pass now. 
awesome. Well, listen, uh, congratulations on, on getting it through the House. Um, when it goes over to the Senate, uh, hopefully it goes to the Education Committee and not Judiciary. Uh, that's a whole other discussion. Um, but uh, uh, once it, it gets scheduled for a hearing over there, assuming it does, and it certainly should, then uh, I'll be there, man. I'll be in there swinging for you, helping you try to get this thing done. Well, as always, and we do appreciate all the time and effort you put into it, and I'm looking forward to that first ride together. Yeah, hey, I am so looking forward to that. That We'll, we'll save that for another discussion on the Biker Guy Show. We're, Carl, we're, we're starting that show, I'm telling you right now. <laughs> Jim, brother, thank you so much, man. Hang in there. Uh, enjoy that new motorcycle. I'll be talking to you soon. Will do. Take care, guys. Thank all you. All right. We're way late getting into a break. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. We're going to have a couple of kind of short segments here. We went a little long with Representative Lucas, but it's an important bill. And, uh, and you know, there's always so much disinformation. My goodness, on constitutional carry, out of the, I don't know, dozen or more times I testified for constitutional carry, I swear I spent 60, 70% of my time explaining what the bill did and didn't do. I mean, you have to explain the bill. And in the context of that, a lot of times you have to explain what existing law is. Because if you don't understand existing law, you don't understand how a particular bill changes existing law. People come in and go, oh, well, and they'd be complaining about something. And I'd say, Senator, that's already the law in Indiana. This doesn't change that. And I'm not being condescending. And look, you know, I, I only have one focus, and that's on Second Amendment issues. And it's a hell of a lot easier to you know, have a handful of bills every year that I'm interested in and, and that I can get in and, and read every word of. A lot of them, on Pro-2A side, I help write them on the front end. So you know, you've, helped, you've helped write something, you've researched the, the background in terms of what existing law is, you're going in uh, arguing. You know, it's easy for me to have a complete grasp on the context, what existing law is and what a bill does and doesn't do. And a lot of these legislators are, are, are in there, and, and they've, there are hundreds, literally hundreds of bills passed every year. But a lot of times this is in committee, and committees don't hear that many bills at once. They don't hear that many bills, period, compared to how many bills get filed every year and never get a hearing. So it's, it's typically three, four, five bills that get a hearing at once. And I don't think it's too much to ask for those legislators to read and understand those bills before the damn hearing. But invariably, when they're talking about what it does and doesn't do. In constitutional carry, you know how many times I had to debunk the idea that constitutional carry allows anyone to carry any gun anywhere? That's what, that's what it was portrayed, at, portrayed as. Oh, constitutional carry. Now felons can carry guns. No, they can't. Constitutional carry. Now, 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 you don't have to pass a background check to buy a gun. No, has nothing to do with the process of buying a gun. Period. And, and I had a legislator in here, and I won't pick him on him personally. He's actually not with us anymore, sadly. But I had a legislator sit right here in the studio with me and defend his comment he put on out on social media that constitutional carry would mean there's no background checks to get a gun. You remember that silly discussion, which is fundamentally untrue. And he knew it was untrue, and he said it. But I only throw that out not to attack him personally, especially, again, since he's sadly no longer with us, but 
just to point out an example of what we have to do. So that's a lot of what's going on with handgun training for teachers, which is House Bill 1177. So it's going to be time here sooner than later to be contacting your state senator. You don't know who that is? Go to the Indiana General Assembly website. It's iga.in.gov. Easy as pie. iga.in.gov. And you click on information on the banner. It says, find my legislators. It'll t- it tells you not only who your, your federal representatives are, which is nice, on the Indiana General Assembly website, but it'll tell you who your state representative is, who, you, who your state senator is. Give them a call. Tell them you want this to pass. It makes a difference. It makes a difference. And I'll be talking more about when it gets scheduled for a hearing. I'm going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back in a, for another short segment, talk about or at least introduce some additional bills uh, that uh, we're going to be fighting for in the Indiana General Assembly and discuss some disappointments we've had already this year uh, on some bills that aren't going away. Let me just tell you, well, if, you, if you're someone who opposed these in the General Assembly, you're a committee chair who didn't give them a hearing, talking to you, Representative Wendy McNamara. (laughs) You're going to see the bill again, and we'll talk more about that uh, when we come back. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIPC. And welcome back for what is going to be another short segment here uh, before we take a break at the top of the hour. But let's talk more about what's going on in the General Assembly. One bill, very disappointed uh, it didn't move forward, and it once again for about the third year in a row, died in the Courts and Criminal Code Committee in the House, chaired by Wendy McNamara, a Republican from Evansville. And what this would do, it would fix a problem that we have in Indiana law. We have a problem that was created actually by a Court of Appeals decision. And look, our Court of Appeals generally does a very nice job. I have all the respect in the world for the judges of the Court of Appeals. But they got this one wrong. And a number of years ago... In a, in a particular case, they ruled that merely pointing a gun at someone is the equivalent of using deadly force. doesn't matter if you actually pull the trigger or not, just pointing a gun at someone is the equivalent of using deadly force. And I think that's fundamentally wrong. But that then links into the self-defense law in Indiana that says to defend your property, we're talking about property other than your home, so your stuff but in this case could include your business. When you're defending your property, your stuff, other than your home, you can use reasonable force to defend your property, but you can't use deadly force. And in this case, Nance versus State, you can look it up, N-A-N-T-Z, Court of Appeals said, well, merely pointing a gun at someone creates a substantial risk of serious bodily injury. And that's the definition of deadly force. So you can't point a gun at someone merely to protect your property. So, as we saw during the riots we had here in Indianapolis in 2020, there were people downtown wanting to defend their property. The way the law reads in Indiana today, the way the law works, if they would merely point their gun at someone to say, no, you're not going to firebomb my property, the business owner goes to jail on a felony. That's not okay. That's not okay. That's all we're trying to fix. I'll go into a little more detail when we come back. It's time to take a break at the top of the hour. And we hope you stick with us. By the way, we'll be right back after the break at the top of the hour. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back to hour number two, The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Although it is not going to be a full hour because uh, the pregame 
for the IU Purdue game comes on at 6.30, so we'll be ending our show promptly at 6.30. And uh, stick around and enjoy the pregame show with my buddy John Herrick, fellow uh, DePaul alum, I will have you know, a fellow DePaul Tiger. And uh, he's doing uh, now uh, a lot of the broadcasting uh, for the uh, IU games, both uh, uh, basketball and football, which is awesome. Uh, big, big uh, career change for him, or at least career augmentation, uh, and that's fantastic for John Herrick. We're all happy to see that here at WIBC, and he deserves it, and he's doing a fabulous job. But anyway, the pregame show will go from 6.30 to 7.30, and then uh, the Hoosiers take on the Boilermakers uh, in West Lafayette. So away game, uh, Indiana won the first game convincingly, really. They were up by 15 at halftime, ended up winning by 5. And uh, I'm sure Purdue has revenge on its mind. Purdue ranked number five. Last I saw, Indiana was ranked 17th, although they may have dipped a bit since then. No, because the ratings will come out on Monday. Uh, but after the, the, the loss at Michigan State, uh, IU may drop a bit, depending on what happens tonight. You beat number five, and you can actually help yourself out. Um, but So we'll see what happens. But in the meantime, stick around for the pregame show at 6.30. We'll be ending promptly at 6.30. Let's talk a little bit more about what's going on in the General Assembly. One bill, it's House Bill uh, 1365, uh, directly relates to uh, a news story that we, we saw come out of Indianapolis uh, this week on the 21st. And a man was arrested, one Walter Oliver, 23 years old, was arrested at Castleton Square Mall after... A police officer, off-duty, saw him in the mall, and the officer observed what was a bulge under Mr. Oliver's shirt. And at some point, mall security, along with this officer, stopped the man, detained him, and asked him if he had a gun. Now, we'll talk a little bit about the legality of that, which is an interesting question in and of itself, particularly with what the Supreme Court of Indiana did in 2017. We'll talk more about that in a second. But he denied having a gun. And so the officer taps on the bulge under his shirt and says, what's that? And it turned out it was a Glock Model 35, 40 caliber handgun. But that in and of itself may not have been much of a problem for Mr. Oliver. Now, I don't know anything about his background. I don't know whether he's a prohibited possessor and I will not assume that he was. We have constitutional carry now, so even if he didn't have a license to carry, he would have been legal, assuming he's not a prohibited possessor, meaning he's not a felon, et cetera, et cetera, in terms of all the different disqualifications you can fall under to prevent you from lawfully carrying a gun under state or federal law. But assuming he's not a prohibited possessor, he's carrying a gun in Castle and Square, I will have you know, I... Don't go to Castleton Square without carrying a gun. I wouldn't dream of going to Castleton Square without carrying a gun. I get upset if my wife even thinks about going to Castleton Square, much less going without carrying a gun. So uh, anybody out there recognizes me in Castleton Square, hey, <laughs> you can assume I'm carrying a gun. Is that a problem? Is that illegal? No. So what's the big deal? 
just seeing someone who may or may not have a gun under their shirt, does that allow police officers to detain someone and investigate whether their possession of that gun, assuming it's a gun at all, is legal? We'll come back to that question because that's a fascinating question that's been directly addressed by our, our Indiana Supreme Court in 2017. And I talked about it at the time. It's worth revisiting. But Mr. Oliver, again, I don't know whether he's a prohibited possessor, and I don't know whether it was legal. Why did they ask him? Well, to the extent that mall security is involved, that changes the equation just a bit, because Simon Malls are private property. And the owner, manager of private property can have whatever policy they want for firearms, just like they can have a no-mask, no-entry policy. They can have a no-shirt, no-shoes, no-service policy. They can have whatever policy they want because it's private property. They can, can they have a no-gun policy? Sure. Does that violate the Second Amendment? No, because it's not the government who's doing it. It's the owner of private property. So, okay, so they've got a no-gun policy at Simon Malls. This relates to the shooting at the Greenwood Park Mall, also a Simon Mall where my client, hero, Eli Dickin, saved countless lives when a bad guy whose name I will not mention, I never mention mass shooters' names, I'm not giving them the glory they were seeking by becoming a mass shooter to begin with. But when he opened fire, killed three innocent people, we always have to remember that, three innocent people lost their lives. That's the first thing we had to think of when we think of the Greenwood Park Mall shooting. But after those poor people lost their lives, Eli Dickin, in 15 seconds, got involved and ended the threat. He ended that mass shooting. He was only able to do that because he was violating the Simon Mall policy of no firearms in the mall. Does that make it a crime? Not in Indiana. I was talking about laws they have in other states, including Texas. Texas has a law. It says if a business or property owner puts a particular sign up at the main entrance, the sign's actually dictated by statute, but if they put that particular sign up that says no guns allowed on this property, and they cite the federal or the Texas statute, I should say, that if you violate that sign, you go to jail by carrying a gun into, into that property, onto that property, in violation of their policy. Well, Indiana doesn't have that law. So let's go back to Castleton. Assuming he was not a prohibited possessor, and I don't know whether he was or not, was Mr. Walter Oliver violating a law because he carried a gun into Castleton Square? No. I do it every time I go to Castleton. If they discover me with my gun, they could say, hey, I happen to recognize Guy Relford, and he just announced over the radio that he's carrying guns in Castleton Square. You, sir, need to leave. You're banned from Castleton Square Mall. Okay, I'm banned. Won't go back, because I'm not going back without a gun. I get home tonight, my wife's probably going to go, damn it, guy, you just got yourself banned from Castleton. I had a whole series of things I wanted you to go pick up at the mall. So be it. I value my Second Amendment rights a little more than where I choose to shop. But back to Mr. Oliver. When they discover the gun in his waistline under his shirt, and by the way, I'd like to think that I'm much better concealed when I carry. I quality guns in quality holsters, typically attached to a quality belt, which makes concealment incredibly easy. And a lot of times we say concealed means concealed. 
Well, he wasn't very well concealed. He was printing, as we say, where the outline of the gun or the bulge of the gun can be seen th- through clothing. So they discovered that he had this Glock 35, 40 caliber firearm, but which may not have been a problem in and of itself, but this particular gun had on it, installed in it, what we call a Glock switch. What's a Glock switch? It's not necessarily unique to Glocks, but the term has come about which is it's a particular device, and it's particularly easy to do with a Glock. It's a particular device that, when installed in the gun, takes the gun from semi-automatic to fully automatic. What's the difference? Semi-automatic, you have to pull the trigger for each bullet that comes out of the muzzle of your barrel. One trigger pull, one bullet. Automatic, it's a machine gun. What's that? Well, you pull the trigger, you press the trigger to the rear and keep it pressed, the gun continues to shoot. It continues to shoot until it's empty or it malfunctions. It's a machine gun. Can you have a gun equipped with a Glock switch in Indiana? That's what we'll go into when we come back, as well as what the law really is on machine guns and what these Glock switches have inspired in terms of a bill currently pending, in fact, recently passed the House, on exactly this issue, which would cover, quote-unquote, Glock switches. That's how we'll wrap up the show since we're ending at 6.30. By the way, if I haven't mentioned it yet today, you know, we've begun uh, live streaming uh, the Gun Guy show on YouTube. And uh, last week we had the link up on, on Facebook. We'll figure out how to do that again. But if you go to YouTube, and I mean, we've only got one segment left here this evening, but in the future, you go to YouTube, search for 93WIBC, you can actually watch a video broadcast, video simulcast, if that's the term, uh, during the show. And a number of people are watching there. It's, uh, we've got, uh, there's a comment section. So people are going back and forth. I've responded to a couple of people. It's kind of hard to do live radio and, uh, type comments at the same time but uh, but that's fun and uh, i'm not much to look at but if you're uh, interested in following on uh, video uh, you can go to youtube and we'll be doing that every week so producer carl and i are getting that pr- figured out and uh, it's kind of a fun little addition if you care to watch video as opposed to just listening on the radio right now we're taking a break we'll be right back this is guy relford on the gun guy show on 93 wibc And welcome back for what will be our last segment this evening as we prepare for the IU-Purdue pregame show, kicking off at 6.30. Let's return to the case of one Walter Oliver, arrested at the Castleton Square Mall for having a Glock handgun modified with a Glock switch that converts a semi-automatic handgun, in this case, to a fully automatic. Now, is it illegal to have a machine gun in Indiana across the board? No. A friend of mine who's in the process of buying a fully automatic Uzi from my buddies up at Pinnacle Firearms right there in Carmel where my office is. Why can you legally buy a machine gun in Indiana? Well, because it's a transferable machine gun. What does that mean? It means it was registered as a machine gun before April of 1986. What happened in April of 1986? Well, that's when the so-called Firearm Owners Protection Act was passed. That included, among many other things, it included a provision that said that as of the effective date of that statute, no additional machine guns could be imported, manufactured, or registered for civilian use in the United States. 
if a gun was already imported or manufactured and registered before April of 1986, it's legal it's, and it's transferable. Now, it makes them incredibly expensive, but you get permission from the federal government in the form of the NFA branch of the ATF under the National Firearms Act of 1934, get your tax stamp, you can legally have a machine gun. So can you register your Glock Model 35 40 caliber, as possessed by Walter Oliver, reportedly, as a machine gun? No, because none of these Glock switches, and even the, 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 the Glock 18 that Glock itself manufactured and has sold, wasn't produced or sold prior to 1986. So the Glock 18 itself is not legal in the United States. You can find them in Europe and other places. And you can't put a Glock switch in your Glock, converting it to fully automatic, and then register it. Why? Because it wasn't manufactured before the operative date. So a Glock modified with a switch to make it fully automatic is going to be illegal because you didn't get past the deadline date. It's not transferable. What about the switch itself? Well, this is the subject of House Bill 1365 right now, because there's an inconsistency. There's an inconsistency within Indiana law, and there's an inconsistency between Indiana law and federal law. And a lot of people have been asking me questions about this, and they've been asking me about my feelings about House Bill 1365, and I've been neutral on the bill. I've not come out and opposed it, and I certainly haven't supported it. But what it does is it reconciles, it, it cures an inconsistency between Indiana law and federal law and even between two provisions of Indiana law. What I mean by that is the switch itself, assuming the reporting is accurate and Mr. Oliver was found with a converted Glock that made it a machine gun, the machine gun, the converted gun itself is illegal under both Indiana law and federal law. So the feds in Indiana can fight over who wants to prosecute. What if Mr. Oliver just had a pocket of switches, the Glock switches themselves in his in his possession when he was discovered by law enforcement. Just the part, not a converted gun, just the switch itself. Well, federal law defines a machine gun as an automatic firearm itself, meaning more than one bullet per trigger pull, but also includes within the definition a part useful only for converting a semi-automatic gun to fully automatic. So the part Again, hypothetically speaking, if someone's discovered with just a pocket full of switches or one switch, that's a violation of federal law. What about Indiana law? What's interesting is the law about transferring a machine gun in Indiana says, for instance, you can't transfer one to someone under 18. You can't transfer one in violation of the NFA. The definition of machine gun in that part of the law includes the part useful only for converting a gun to fully automatic. But the possession crime that we have here in Indiana does not. In other words, if you find somebody with a pocket full of the switches or a switch, and they're not trying to sell it to somebody, they're just in possession of the switch. That is a violation of federal law, but it's not a violation of state law. So what's the problem? IMPD and others are saying they're finding these all over the place. They're finding a lot of them. A lot of them are made in China. They're getting shipped into the country. You can go out and order one today and have it shipped to you from China. Now, if ATF or Customs finds it coming through and they see it's on its way to you, you're going to get a knock on the door. 
from customs and or FBI and or ATF, and they're probably going to take you to jail for importing an illegal firearm, an illegal machine gun, quote unquote, even just the part. But if the feds aren't interested in taking that case, and the feds can be a bit overwhelmed and they have fewer resources than state and local governments do, state and local law enforcement, state and local prosecutors. So this law would allow local authorities, in this case, Marion County Prosecutor's Office or other, some other county prosecutor to prosecute someone who's simply found with the switches, not the converted firearm itself. And a lot of law enforcement agencies, particularly IMPD, uh, IMPD are saying that, that they're finding a lot of these, that it's a real issue on the street and a lot of people are carrying these machine guns. Now, you can ask yourself how big of a problem that is. Are they illegal? That is the converted firearms? Yeah. Are the, the gangbangers apparently loving it? It's now a big status symbol, I guess, to have your Glock converted to be a machine gun. And that's all cool. And your your fellow buddies on the street, ooh and all over your machine gun. Okay. Does it make a gun more deadly? Look, if you can hold it steady, and there was some video I saw, one of the local TV stations had an IMPD officer who held the gun very steady and put a full extended magazine of ammunition into a target with quite a bit of accuracy. I have a feeling this was a trained shooter, more so than the typical police officer. Do I think the average gang member or someone else who's going to illegally convert their gun is going to be more deadly or less deadly with a converted Glock? There's a pretty good argument to say less because they're going to be less accurate. They're going to spray bullets in every direction. Now, they may kill a bunch of innocent people, which, of course, is a problem as well. But at the end of the day, what... 1365 does is it would make the switches themselves and possession of the switches themselves illegal as well. I just wanted to hear what the bill does and doesn't do, because if you hear the legislators are trying to do something to restrict machine gun possession in Indiana, that's what it's limited to. If you have a transferable machine gun, you can have that gun just as you could before, and 1365 doesn't change that. That's this week's show. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you come back next week.